It is great to be with you this morning. I don't know what your weekend has been like, but ours has been busy. Uh, we've had family in town, been celebrating Jack Reel, my father-in-law's 80th birthday. So uh, it's been a good weekend with that. Lots of family activities, and Jack's doing remarkably well for a man of that age, I think, don't you? So. Also, I want to call your attention to the fact that we're only three weeks away from the Netherwood Park family encampment. Uh, we'll be up at Ponderosa Christian Camp. There will be a bunch of us up there. So far, I have about 90 people who have registered to go up to camp. I know there are more to come, and I want to encourage you to get your registration forms in as soon as possible, or email me, let me know in some way that you plan on being there, even if you're only going to be there uh, for a little bit of the day on Saturday. It's important for us as we assign cabins and as we decide what kind of food we're going to have and how many people we're going to feed and all those kind of things. So please get your registration forms in as soon as possible. I also want to give you a Project 6K update. For those of you who don't know, Project 6K is our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. We have challenged ourselves as a congregation to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. And so far to date, we've read 4,966 books of the Bible. So before this month is over, we will well be past the 5K mark, well on our way to the 6K mark. And we look forward to when we'll be celebrating together the fact that we have not only met our goal, we have exceeded our goal. So good job. Keep up the good work. Let's pray together. Father, we are very mindful of how you have blessed us so richly. Father, we are very mindful of your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice. And we're very mindful, Father, that his sacrifice allows us to come into your presence so that you hear us, Father, so you answer us. Father, we thank you for being a God who cares about us who loves us, who wants what is best for us. And Father, help us to realize and understand that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can still live true to the purpose that you have given us. And that's to be obedient children of yours and to follow in the steps of our Savior and our brother, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So last week we started a new sermon series, and we're calling that sermon series, Say What? Does the Bible Really Say That? And during this series, we're going to be taking a look at several popular sayings. We're going to look at some of those frequently used Christian cliches. We're going to talk about the types of things you might see on a bumper sticker or a poster, the kinds of phrases you might read on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. We're going to look at those seemingly helpful catchphrases you might see on Facebook or offered as advice or comfort to someone going through difficult times. And we're going to focus on those sayings and focus on those cliches because many of them have been given the weight of Scripture without actually being from the Bible. So each week what we're going to do is we're going to consider one of those Christian cliches and we're going to ask the question, does the Bible really say that? And last week we started off the series by asking the question, does the Bible really say to just follow your heart? And we saw that the Bible actually says something quite different. Instead of advising that we just follow our hearts, the Bible tells us that God intends for our hearts to be led, not followed. He intends for our hearts to be led to him 
and led by him. And today we're going to look at the popular Christian cliche, God has a plan for your life. And we're going to once again ask the question, does the Bible really say that? Well, the phrase, God has a plan for your life, is extremely popular. And it's most often offered as comfort for someone who is going through a difficult time, a difficult situation. For example, someone who has just been laid off from their job will often hear, don't worry, remember, God has a plan for your life. Or the person who has just received a devastating medical diagnosis might read this on their Facebook It's all going to be okay. Don't forget, God has a plan for your life. And I think we can understand why the phrase, God has a plan for your life, is frequently offered when people are going through trying times. It can seem comforting to think that God has every step of our future meticulously planned out. It can seem comforting to think that God has mapped out every step of our journey and that even the most difficult situation we may find ourselves in now is just a necessary stop on the way to a happily ever after ending. But I have to wonder, in the midst of trials, is being told that God has a plan for your life really comforting? And more importantly, I have to wonder, is being told that God has a plan for your life really biblical? And I'm sure some of you are already way ahead of me. You may be thinking something along the lines of this. You may be thinking, okay, Walter, I'll give you last week. I'll give you the fact and I'll agree with you that just follow your heart isn't in the Bible. But I know that the phrase, God has a plan for my life, is in there. You may be thinking, I know that that's in the Bible because that coffee mug at the Christian bookstore not only said God has a plan for your life on it, it also had a book and a chapter and a verse written on it. And that's correct. That coffee mug does have a book, Jeremiah. It does have a chapter, 29, and it does have a verse, 11, written on it. So let's spend a few moments and let's look at the origin story of the frequently recited phrase, God has a plan for your life. Here's what Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, says. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? This is from the mouth of God's prophet. He says, I have a plan for you. I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bring you no harm. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. So clearly, God has a plan for you. The only question is the identity of you. So when Jeremiah says, God has a plan for you, does he mean he has a plan for me? Does he mean he has a plan for you? Does he mean he has a plan for us? Or is Jeremiah speaking of some other you? Well, to answer that question, we don't have to search very far. All we have to do is just widen our focus a little bit, and then we'll discover the identity of you. Let's back up just one verse to Jeremiah chapter 29 and 10 and read from there. 
says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will see me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So what's the identity of you? Well, the promise is to you, but it's to you, a nation. The promise is to you, Israel. The promise is to a nation that's being uprooted from its homeland and dispersed to foreign lands. The promise is about a future for you, Israel. The promise is that this is not the end. That 70 years will pass and then you, Israel, will be allowed to return to your homeland. The promise is to you, a nation. But it's a really big leap. In fact, I think it's too big of a leap to take a promise that was made to the nation of Israel. I have plans for you, Israel. And then conclude that God has the same kind of meticulous plans for me, Walter. You see, the real application from Jeremiah 29 is that God is faithful. That God is a promise keeper. God is faithful and he keeps his promises. He promised Israel that he had a plan to bring them back after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And we know he kept that promise. God is faithful and he keeps his promises. But we have to be very careful and not expect God to keep promises that he never made. And in Jeremiah 29, he doesn't promise you and he doesn't promise me that he has a meticulously mapped out plan for our lives. Well, that's part of the origin story, but that's not the end of the origin story. The saying, God has a plan for your life, also grows out of the theology of John Calvin. We know this as Calvinism. And one of the main things that Calvinism is concerned with is the sovereignty of God. Calvinism focuses on the correct biblical understanding that all of creation is under God's rule. Calvinism is often contrasted with the theology of Jacob Arminius, commonly referred to as Arminianism. And one of the main things Arminianism is concerned with is the free will of mankind. Arminianism focuses on the correct biblical understanding that we are all free to choose our own paths. We're all free to make our own decisions. So you might ask, are we Calvinist or are we Armenian? I think the correct answer to that is yes. We're both. We affirm the sovereignty of God over all things. But we also affirm that we have the freedom to follow God's heart or to follow our own hearts. Are we Calvinist or Armenian? Well, the correct answer can also be no, we are neither. Because we don't affirm the strongest forms of Armenianism. Because those forms question the sovereignty of God. And we don't affirm the strongest forms of Calvinism. 
We don't ascribe to hyper-Calvinism, if you will. Hyper-Calvinism or extreme Calvinism asserts that God has mapped out every detail of every life so that every aspect of every life happens just like he wants it to. You think about that view. That's a view of God as this great puppet master in the sky. And he's moving your life and my life and every life along a path like it's a piece on a monopoly board. And any notion that we might have that we're affecting our own destiny through our own actions and our own decisions, that's just merely an illusion. See, in this view... Everything that happens has been predetermined by God to move you from the start of your life to the predetermined end of your life exactly as planned. God has a plan for your life. And there are some serious problems with this hyper-Calvinism. And one of them is that it erases free will. It says that we don't affect our own destiny that our decisions don't matter. And another problem is that it also makes God responsible for all the evil in the world. But we don't live on a game board. We live in a fallen world, a fallen world with Satan on the prowl. We live in a fallen world where we're all impacted by the consequences of our own decisions. And I'm also impacted by the consequences of your decisions. And you're impacted by the consequences of my decisions. We live in a fallen world where we're all impacted by the decisions of people who are even long dead. We're even impacted by the decisions of people that we will never even meet. We don't live on a game board. We live in a fallen world where Satan is on the prowl. And where free will decisions have consequences. And in this world, there are starving children in Africa. In this world, there are girls that are being sold into, slave, into sex slavery in Asia. In this world, there are sons and daughters being killed by drunk drivers in New Mexico. And that's happening not because that was God's plan for their lives. That's happening not because God wanted that to happen or scripted for that to happen. That's happening because those are some of the tragic consequences of living in a fallen world with Satan on the prowl and with people free to make their own decisions. And that's why I don't really think it's that comforting and certainly don't think it's that honest to tell the parents of that girl that was just killed by the drunk driver I know this is hard for you, but you just have to accept that God has a plan for your life. You might be thinking, well, Walter, surely you're not saying that God doesn't have particular plans for particular people at particular points in time. You may be saying, I know that's in the Bible, and you know what? You're right. That is in the Bible. God does have particular plans for particular people at particular times. For example, God had particular plans for Abraham and for Moses and for David and for Solomon and for Mary, for the Apostle Paul, and we could go on and on with the list. 
And God actively worked to make sure that his particular plans for those particular people at those particular times came about. But the reality is those particular people are the exceptions rather than the rule. The reality is that most of us are going to live our entire lives with many more options and much less clarity than those particular people at those particular times. And that isn't to say that God can't or won't work that way now. No, God is sovereign But we need to understand that when God does work that way, he brings complete clarity. He leaves no doubt that he has chosen a particular person at a particular time for a particular plan. So let me suggest that if you're walking on the West Mesa and you see a bush burning and it's not being consumed and you hear God's voice speak from that bush, you better pay attention. Or if you're walking down the road and you're suddenly blinded by a light and Jesus speaks directly to you, you better pay attention because God has a plan for your life. But most of us are going to live our lives with many more options and much less clarity. But just because we don't have a clear plan from God for our lives doesn't mean that God hasn't given us a clear purpose for our lives. You see, even though we live in a fallen world with Satan on the prowl, and even though we live with the consequences of our decisions and the decisions of others, even in the midst of this messed up, chaotic world, our lives have purpose. Our lives have clear and God-given purpose. The teacher puts it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Paul summed up our purpose this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Peter made a similar point when he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. He said, if anyone speaks, they should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The prophet Micah, we heard him earlier, he said it this way in Micah 6, 8. He says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And Paul, again, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be firstborn among many brothers. God has given us a clear purpose in our life. And what is our clear purpose in life? It's to fear God and keep his commandments. It's to glorify God in everything that we do. It's to bring about justice and it's to love kindness and it's to walk humbly with our God. Our clear purpose is to be conformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. 
our clear purpose in life is to be like Jesus Christ, to be like our firstborn brother. You see, our task in life isn't to discover God's plan for our lives. Instead, our task is to be obedient to his purpose for our lives in everything that we do. Let me personalize this for you a little bit. I don't know what the next chapter of my life is going to bring. Some of you will be pleased to know that I'm not going to be the preacher at Netherwood Park Church of Christ forever. There will be another chapter in my life. And I don't know what that's going to be. I truly don't. It may be another role here at Netherwood Park. It may be another role at a different church. It may be working as a financial planner. It may be selling bows at the new Cabela's that they're going to build, which I'm very excited about. It it could be any number of those kind of things. I don't know. I don't have clarity about the next step in my life. But I have no doubt about the purpose in my life. And no matter where we live our lives... What's important is how we live our lives. See, what's important isn't where I work. What's important is how I work. What's important isn't whether we get married. What's important is how we treat our spouse if we do get married. What's important isn't whether we have children. It's how we train and treat our children if we do have children. What's important is that we live our lives according to God's clear purpose, no matter what this fallen world throws our way. And no matter what the consequences of our actions or the actions of others bring our way. What's important is that we are faithful to our purpose in the face of an uncertain future. And we know this, don't we? We know that our future in this life is uncertain. It's uncertain because God, in his sovereignty, allows all of us to experience our fallen world. And it's uncertain because God has dignified us with the ability to make consequential decisions in our world. And since our world is fallen, and since my decisions and your decisions and everybody's decisions do have consequences... Not everything that happens in this world is good. In fact, much of it's horrible. Much of it's tragic. Much of it's heartbreaking. And if you want to offer comfort in the midst of the horror, if you want to offer comfort in the midst of the tragedy, if you want to offer comfort in the midst of the heartbreak, if you want to honor If you want to offer honest and biblical comfort, then offer the comfort of the promise that God really did make. Offer the comfort of the promise that God keeps. Paul puts God's comforting promise this way. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that in all things, in all things, All things God works for the good of those who love him. So Paul, in what things? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So where is God in the horror? Well, he's working to bring about good despite the horror. Where is God in the tragedy? He's working to bring about good despite the tragedy. 
Where is God in the heartbreak? He's working to bring about good in the midst of heartbreak. That's God's promise. That's his faithful promise. And that's the promise that brings honest and biblical comfort. So let's end by coming full circle. Does God have a plan? Absolutely God has a plan. But his plan isn't the meticulous details of our lives. Instead, his plan is a much greater plan. His plan is a plan that brings salvation to those who are true to God's purpose for their lives. And to understand God's plan, we have to lift up our eyes from the daily grind of our lives. We have to lift up our eyes from the circumstances of our lives. And we have to focus on the cross. See, God's plan isn't for us to be the center of the story. Instead, God's purpose for us is to imitate the story. God's purpose for us is to imitate Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the story. And Jesus Christ is God's plan. And even now, even in the midst of horror or in the midst of delight, even in the midst of tragedy or in the midst of triumph, in the midst of heartbreak or in the midst of unspeakable joy, in all things, God is working out his plan. And our God's plan will not be defeated. And it's in God's plan, it's in Jesus Christ that we find the ultimate comfort. Because this much we know. We know that every knee will bow. We know that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all glory will be to the glory of God the Father. And that's God's plan that gives our lives purpose. I'm going to ask you to stand up and let's pray together. Please stand. Father, our prayer is that we will live our lives according to your purpose for our lives. And Father, we look forward to the day when your plan will be complete and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, bring that day soon. And Father, to you be the glory for ages without end. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.